Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I heard that last song that we did for the first time yesterday, and it, <clears throat> it just wrecked me. Just thinking about, like, the darkness trembles at just the mention of His name. Um... And then the, the, the beautiful thing about that is that he, he gave us His name. He placed us in Him, in Christ. He said, in me you will have peace. In me, in Christ, in me you will have peace. In the world you have tribulation. In other words, that word there, tribulation, was pressure. <clears throat> Philipsis in the Greek, pressure. Uh, a force trying to conform you, pushing on you. There's going to be things that are going to try to shape you and mold you out in the world, but you're in me and you'll have peace even in the middle of the storm, even in the middle of the storm. You don't get born again and God become this janitor that goes in front of you and cleans up everything so that you never walk through anything ever again. You become born again so that as you walk through it, you carry something greater than what you're walking through. You become the answer to the problem rather than affected by it and a victim of it. You're no longer a victim. You're more than a conqueror. Jesus said in this world, you'll especially take heart for I've overcome the world and you're in me. Right before that, he said, in me you'll have peace. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys, listen, everything you go through in this world, I've already overcome it. You have victory in it when you're in me because I've already overcome the world. That's why he told us to take heart. That's the beauty of being born again, a new creation. If any man is a new creation, is in Christ. It's not just we said a prayer one day so that one day we'll go to heaven. It's my life is no longer the life that it was because I laid down who I was to receive who He said that I was to be. This beautiful exchange where the perfect life was laid down and He thought His life lived and died was worth it for me to become who He created me to be. That's what David was talking about in the Psalms when he says, what must man be that you're mindful of? David's saying, you know, I look around and I, I see humanity. And I don't understand. I don't see what you see, God. There's a disconnect here. Because I look around, God, and I see humanity. I look around and I see the things that are going on and I wonder, God, what, what must we really be that You're mindful of us, God? That You said that Your eye is upon us. That if You know that when a feather falls from the sparrow, how much more do You care about things that go on in our life? God, what must we be to You? It's not... He's not ridiculing man and saying, who is man that you're mindful of him? He's not putting down man. He's saying, who is man? In other words, God, show me what you see, God, because when I look around, I don't see it, but you do because there's a day coming when you're going to trade the life of your son for the life of all these people, and I don't see it, but you do, God, so show me how to see. Show me what it is. Show me who is man that you're mindful of us. That when you watch where we go, God, that as we rise and as we rest, you see us and your eyes are always upon us. You're not looking at us because you want to find what's wrong. God, you're looking at us because you see who we are and you see what's right. You dealt with the wrong on the cross in Jesus and you're confident in your love. You're confident that you have never been overcome. You will never be overcome, God. You're so confident of that that when you're looking at us, all you're seeing is who we are and who we're becoming in Christ. You're not looking at us to find fault. It's like when I stare at my wife. You know, I told you guys this. I, I used to, especially when we were first, well, now I do it because she catches me, so I'm still. It's been almost 20 years now. And she'll look and be like, What? 
And then she'll get self-conscious, you know? She'll check her nose or think there's something, you know? Because when someone's staring at you, your automatic thing is if they're looking at me, they must see something wrong. And so you get self-conscious. You were never made to be that way. You were never supposed to be self-conscious. You were supposed to be God-conscious. You were never supposed to go around finding fault. You were always supposed to go around with eyes of love seeing what He sees. And I stare at my wife and she says, what? We'd be driving in the car when we were first dating and I'd just be looking at her. It was probably creepy, I don't know, but I just, she, I liked looking at her. I still do. And I'd be just looking at her as we're driving with this smile on my face and she'd catch me and she'd be like, what? Do I, you know? You guys are going to think I'm crazy. In 20 years, my wife has never had something in her nose. Y'all, she is a freak about that though. What, do I have something in my nose? I'm like, no, honey, there's never been one thing in your nose. I'm serious. I don't know how it's possible, but it is. <clears throat> but she would, she would automatically get self-conscious because she just assumed that if I'm looking at her, there's something wrong. And so many of us live that way, thinking that if God's eyes are upon us, it's because He's probing and looking for what's wrong. And I said, she looked at me and said, what? And I said, she goes, I have something I know this is... Babe, I'm not looking at you because there's something wrong. I'm looking at you because I love you. And when we realize that's the posture of God towards us, I'm not looking at you because I see something wrong. I'm looking at you because I love you. Because see, because He so loved the world, He gave His Son. Jesus came and died because He loved you, not so that He could. Because the Bible says, for God so loved you, so loved the world. That means the inhabitants thereof. Every person. For He so loved the world, He gave His Son. Because He loved you, not so that He could. You know, the message of the cross, one of the most beautiful things is it points out and it proves you were never, ever, ever unloved. There was never a time in your life where you weren't loved. There may have been times where you acted unlovable, but you were never not loved by the Father. And He invites us into that. Guys, this, this is what the Gospel is. This is why we exist. This is the whole reason we're here. <laughs> it's to discover this loving Father, be born again, transform new creations in Christ, and then go out into the world and love people and show them who He is. That's it. That's why we're here. And it looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. There's different jobs and callings and gifts and offices and all that stuff. And that stuff's important. But let's never forget this one thing. You were born again, a new creation in Christ, so that you could go out into the world and show the people who the Father is, what He's like, and what He's done for them. That's it. That's why we exist. It's to be loved by Him, to bring glory to Him, to know Him and be known by Him. To open ourselves up to Him and say, God, You know me anyways. Here I am. I'm not hiding anymore. That's what David was trying to convey when he said that. He said, where could I go to hide from Your presence if I went to the highest mountain? You'd be there. If I made my bed in Sheol, there, your presence would find me. Where could I? What's he saying? He's saying, God, I can't hide from you anyway, so what's the point of trying? 
That's why we're born again, is to know Him, to be known by Him, to have relationship with Him. And then to everywhere we go, as we become more and more like Him, that people that know you experience the love of God through your life. And you don't even have to tell them, hey man, I'm loving you like this because I want to evangelize you because I want you to know who my dad is. (laughs) It doesn't become this thing we're trying to sell. It's no longer this thing where it's like, I have this product and I really want you to buy this and how can I pitch this to you in a way that you'll want it too? It's, this is who he is. I love you. I care about you. I listen to you when you talk. I'm not waiting to speak. I'm listening. I care about you. When I tell you I'm going to be praying for you, I'm not just saying, oh, I'll be praying for you. I'm meaning I will get before the Father on my knees and I will pray for you. And I'll believe that he hears my prayers and that they matter. I believe that anything I ask in his name, he'll do because he said that. And I'm in him and he's in me. If two agree on anything, anything in his name, it shall be done. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, when you know me, you're going to ask me for things that I already want to do. And I'll agree with you and I'll do it. That's the whole reason we exist as a church. This right here is why we are here as a church, is to fall more and more with God and with each other and to go out and to declare to the world the love of God and what the cross declares. The cross didn't declare that you were a wretched sinner. The cross declared that you were loved by a father. It didn't declare that you were unlovable. It declared that you were so lovable that he thought your life was worth the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus walked around with true life pulsing through his veins. And then they nailed him to a cross and drop by drop it dripped to the ground. And it silenced the blood of Abel, which cried out from the ground for justice. And mercy triumphed over justice. And now listen, but listen, it's not just so that we can have a good feeling when we realize that about ourselves. It's because when that's alive in us, that's what will flow from us. Because what is in our hearts is what's going to come out of our mouth when you believe that in your heart then you find yourself the answer to every situation is Jesus I can't even give advice because he's he's, it's Jesus he's the answer he's what every single person's looking for He's the pearl of great price. He's the one in the field that when you find him you sell everything to have him because he's so worth it And if we don't believe that, let's not fake it. Let's seek Him until we find it. And discover it over and over and over and over again. He's not a one-time discovery and then go back to life as normal. He's, I've found Him. I'll spend the rest of my life discovering who He is. Because that's what we're going to do for eternity. Why not start now? Well, it, I just sometimes it's boring reading the Bible. That's because you're reading the Bible to know something rather than to know someone. I promise you, stop reading the Word so that you can strictly know something and start reading the Word to know someone. To see Him. To see who He is. To see what He's like and what He's promised and who He says you are so that you can agree with what He says. And then when you come into agreement with what He says about you, you can actually step into the things He has for you. Open your Bibles real quick to Mark chapter 6. We've got some things to talk about, so I'm going to go through this message, and then we're going to talk. Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> this is Jesus. He's partway through His ministry. He's been going around doing these amazing things. 
He's been, been healing people and casting out demons and doing all these, these, these awesome things. Everything that he said he would do. You realize that his ministry began when he walked into a temple and declared what the Word of God said about him and came into agreement with the Word of God? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news. Give sight to the blind. Declare the favorable year. What's he doing? He's coming into agreement. He's saying, this is what the Father has said about me and this is what I believe to be true and I'm going to live my life from this moment forward in the truth of what God spoke about me. So Mark chapter 6, now he, he gets to this place where he wants to go back to his hometown. He says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did these, this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Up until this point, everything they're asking is awesome. Because what they're saying is, you ever had someone say that to you? You're talking and they say, where did you get that from? And, and you want to just give them the easy answer, God. <laughs> so that's where it came from. Why? Because all wisdom proceeds from Him. Everything is from Him. No matter how you received it, it's all from Him. That's why don't ever, ever guard and hold any revelation He gives you as your own and think that it's something that He gave you and not and somebody else. Every, freely you've received, now freely give. Freely give it. Everything that He entrusts you with is so that you'll freely share and give to other people. But right now they're saying, who, who, how is He so wise? And how is he doing all these miraculous things? And they're, they're on track. But then, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there. Just go back and read that real quickly. It is staggering. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for who You are. God, I thank You that this Gospel is so real that it's the power that You've given to change lives. I thank You, God, that our lives are changed by You. God, I ask that our ears would be open to hear and our minds to understand. God, You said we have the mind of Christ, that we have the mind of Christ. that our hearts would be good soil, God, that the Word would go forth into the soil of our hearts, that it would produce the fruit that You intended for it to. God, Your Word is a seed, and seeds grow. That it would continue to grow, that it would bring forth fruit. God, that a world that, that is dying and lost and confused and hurt would taste the fruit of our lives by the Spirit in us and know that You're good that they would taste and see that You're good because of the fruit in our lives that You're producing. 
And we thank you for that. You realize that's the way the world's going to taste and see that God is good? Is they're going to taste the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> fruit doesn't hang on a tree just to hang there, rot and drop to the ground. Fruit is meant to be consumed. It's meant to be tasted. If there's fruit in your life, it's for a reason. It's not just so that you have a pretty looking tree. It's not just so that it falls to the ground and rots and smells like wine and bees are attracted to it. It's so that actually it would be consumed and the goodness that was intended in it would be tasted and seen by somebody. That's why the fruit of the Spirit's in your life. It's for others' consumption. You consume Him. That's for you. The fruit that that produces, that's for others. So Jesus goes to his, his own hometown and they, they're asking all the right questions and then all of a sudden, they start down a different path. Isn't he a carpenter? He's not a priest. He's not a minister. Where'd he go to seminary? See, because before they were looking at the fruit of his life and they were seeing stuff that only God could be producing. Where's this wisdom coming from? And what about these miraculous things he's doing? And they're recognizing there's something going on with him, but all of a sudden their mind starts to get in the way of what they've experienced and they start asking questions not based on the wisdom of God, not based on believing that he is, but all of a sudden skepticism comes in. Isn't he the carpenter? And suddenly, now they're seeing Him with natural eyes and through a lens of skepticism. And the questions head in the wrong direction. He's a carpenter. No. He's the one who God said, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. But see, at some point, they were going to have to make a choice to believe what God said over what they knew. At some point, they were going to have to disregard what they knew about Him and believe that He really was who God said that He was and come into agreement with what God spoke. Or they would spend the rest of their lives not able to receive from Him. Not because He wasn't who God said He was but because they didn't believe that He was who God said that He was and they couldn't see Him as the person that God declared He was, the Son of God. You know how many times in our lives the problem isn't that we don't know truth, the problem is we don't believe it? It's not that we haven't heard it. It's that we don't take it and say, well, this is what God said, so if anything that I know comes against that, I'm going to discard what I know in favor of what He spoke. Every one of us will come to those places in our lives where what God has spoke over you or what God has spoke to you or what God has spoke over somebody else or is doing through somebody else, what you know to be true will be confronted by the reality of what God has said and you're going to have to choose which one you're going to go with. It's just going to happen. Here they were facing this choice and they have these, they have these things laid out in front of them. Right? It's so clearly laid out. He's got wisdom. He's performing miracles. They've seen what He's done. They've heard what He's done. He announced in the temple who He was. They, the voice of God confirmed, this is My Son. On one side, they have this. But then on the other side, they have 
He's a carpenter. Isn't he Mary's son? Oh, all of a sudden, the first thing is, is he doesn't look like what we would expect of someone who we're going to submit to and listen to. Because he's a carpenter. He's not a priest. Where did he go to school? What are his credentials? Where did he get his degree from? Come on, all these things matter to some people. You know how many times I get asked that? So where did you go to sem- seminary? You know what I tell them? St. Paul's. <laughs> listen, listen, they, that, 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 that appeases them because they assume it's some obscure seminary they've never heard of. <laughs> But if they were to ask me, I would say, I believe what Paul said, that I took it upon myself to be taught by no man, but the Lord Himself instructed me. And that's not saying I haven't learned from people. That's saying that primarily where I get what I get is by getting alone with Him and letting Him teach me. I'm not against seminary and I'm not against teaching. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if we're not careful, we'll value things that, that we can put our hands and, and, and put our eyes on over things that, that are beyond that, like the working of miracles and the fruit of someone's life and the wisdom they carry if we're not careful. Not anybody in this room, thankfully. But these people back then and the people that listen to the podcast, they could do that. They could be prone to that stuff. Aren't you glad that, that we've progressed so much that we're so far beyond the people in the Bible that we don't ever struggle with the things that they struggle with. We don't ever deal with the things that they dealt with. So now they have this familiarity thing going on where, where not only do we, we know what he's supposed to do, we've pigeonholed him, we've labeled him because of what he does for a job. Listen to me, it doesn't matter what you do for a job, you have one purpose in life and that's to represent the king. It doesn't matter if you make your living during the day as a carpenter, you make your living during the day as a pastor, or somewhere in, anywhere in between as a doctor or whatever else. It doesn't matter what God has gifted you with physically that you use. Listen, there is nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, in the Bible it says those who don't provide for their family are worse than unbelievers. Uh, Paul said that, not me. A man that can't provide for his family, he said it's worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because a believer in Christ should be someone who actually goes out and diligently does all things as if unto the Lord. Because to whom much is given, much will be required. And they got real quiet. Why well, just live by faith? Listen, living by faith is not an employment status. You put them out there, I'll step on them. I'm serious. Living by faith is not an employment status. We all live by faith because the just live by faith. It doesn't mean I don't get up in the morning and go to work. It just means when I get up in the morning and go to work, I'm aware that there's a greater purpose in my life than simply just going to work and doing my job. I'm going there to do everything, first of all, as if under the king. Because if I'm sitting there professing Jesus, yet I'm the first one that's off, off the job, or I'm the first one to try to slack off, I'm the first one that doesn't do a good job, I do shoddy workmanship, and I just gloss over things, and I don't pay attention to what I'm doing. If, I, if I'm professing Jesus in one hand, and I'm working like that on the other hand, it brings a bad light to His name. Because I do everything as if unto Him. That means I take pride in everything that I do. 
Why? Because I understand there's no separation between sacred and secular. That's a Greek thing that was thrown into the church and brought into the church by that. Everything is sacred. Everything. You go to work in the morning, you represent the king. The kingdom of heaven's in you. It's within you. You're the light of the world. You know, his name is light and, 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 and shadows can't deny it. You realize that like when it says darkness trembles at his name, you're in his name. When you walk into the room, darkness literally trembles because the light of God is inside of you and the spirit in you is greater than any spirit that's in the world. You realize that it doesn't, here's the thing, if you don't know that, they can be trembling over there, but as soon as they see that there's nothing in you that believes that, they look at you and say, well, wait a minute, he doesn't even believe. Because when they tried to cast demons out of the seven sons of Sceva, or seven sons of Sceva tried to cast the demons out, he said, I know Paul and I know Jesus, who are you? He ate their lunch, why? Because they didn't believe what they were saying, they were trying to use a name without the actual belief that the name brings. You walk into work in the morning and the light of God has walked into the world because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. All of a sudden, in that place, there's no shadow that can hide from where you are. There's no darkness that doesn't tremble when you walk in. He could have done it any way and he decided to do it this way. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. He's physically here with the disciples, walking with them, physically. He says, I'm going to go, but it's better for your sake that I go. Why? Because he believed if he went and the Spirit of God came inside of you, that there'd be a bunch of people with the same Spirit that empowered him on the earth representing the kingdom everywhere they go. And everywhere your feet touch, the light of God, the light of the world, and the kingdom of heaven has invaded. You have to believe that and actually live that way. That when you walk into a room, listen, people talk about, well, it's just so dark there. How can it be dark there when you're there? Oh, you know, I just, I don't like going there. It's so dark. Maybe that's the reason you're supposed to go there because you're the light. Sometimes we get so caught up in sensing what's going on that we're more aware of what the enemy's doing than the fact that maybe God sent us there because the enemy's doing that. Interceding doesn't mean trying to figure out how bad it is and then pleading with God. No, I'm serious. Listen to me. We get caught up sometimes in this stuff of figuring out what's going on with places and what's wrong. Who cares what's wrong? We know what's right. So walk in and bring the kingdom of God and start releasing truth. That's the only thing ever promised to set people free is the truth. He said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do people know the truth? By us opening our mouths and living our lives in a way that the truth of God invades every circumstance and every area. That there's no place safe. That the enemy has no safe place in Greenville. And he's on the run and he's looking and every time he thinks he finds a place, one of you walk in. A Christian walks in. Someone empowered by the Word of God that believes that maybe they're there this day, not just because they have a job and not just because that's how they provide for their family. We're thankful for that. But we believe that maybe, just maybe, God brought me here to be the answer to a problem because He's in me. Stop playing around. Quit just saying a prayer and confessing something with your mouth that you don't believe in your heart start living like it's true and if it's true then that means that when you see a problem believe that maybe there's an answer and maybe the answer lives inside of you and maybe christ in you is the hope of glory it's a hope because until you open your mouth it's only a hope but once you open your mouth and the glory of god is manifest now suddenly what is hope for is seen and it's no longer hope now all of a sudden you've infected somebody else and they're a carrier of this great hope that we call the gospel. 
I'm, I, I'm, oh. This is Mary's son. This is the brother of these four. And all of a sudden, what they had their eyes fixed on is being transplaced by what they know to be true and what's true in the natural. And all of a sudden, he's no longer this man full of wisdom, this man that's performing miracles. He suddenly has become a carpenter who's the son of this woman here and the brother of these guys. What are they doing? They're bringing him down in their own view of who he is. And suddenly, they can't even see him for who God said that he was. And it's tragic because they're the ones who miss out. It doesn't change Jesus at all. (laughs) Your inability to recognize who God said somebody is doesn't change them. It changes your ability to receive from them. And He could do no mighty miracle there except for to lay His hands on a few sick people and they were healed. What happens? The lack of believing and agreeing with what God has spoke actually kills the corporate anointing that Jesus carries. Because every other town He went into, it said, and they brought Him all their sick and He healed them all. They brought everyone who was possessed of the devil and He cast out every demon. What is, this, what is it saying? It's saying, listen, when there's people that agree that He really is who He says, when we come into agreement with God, we experience the thing that God declared. And because we don't experience the thing that God declared, because we don't agree with what He said, it strengthens our case. And suddenly we become one of those people with a self-fulfilling prophecy saying, well, I don't believe it because if it was true, how come I didn't? Because every person that was there could have walked away from that experience and, and walked around and with the worldly wisdom, they could have told people this, Son of God, are you kidding me? I was there the other day. He didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't. And the reason why it's clearly spelled out in the Scripture is because you didn't recognize Him for who He was and believe that He really was who God said He was. That is horrible with other people, but I'm going to tell you something right now. The most tragic way that that happens and the most common way that happens is that we don't believe that we are who God says that we are. Because if not believing what God says about somebody else will keep you from receiving from them, not believing what God says about you will keep you from receiving from Him. All of a sudden... There's this familiarity thing that goes on. Who's the person you're most familiar with in your life? Familiarity kills anointing. It did with Jesus. It did with Jesus. Guys, the the Son of God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, and the anointing on His life is shut down by people's unbelief and lack of faith that He is who He says. Lack of agreement with what God spoke over their life. That's Jesus. Who's the person that you're the most familiar with in your life? It's you. You know everything about you. You know everything you've done. See, we do this sometimes with people because we know what they've done, right? So we hear this about somebody and we have a hard time believing it because I know who they were. I remember what they said back. I remember what they did back. I remember all this stuff. And because I remember everything that was wrong with them, I can't believe what God said is right about them, even though I can't. The the truth of the matter is, is they're not even the person that did that stuff anymore because they're a new creation in Christ. Because familiarity keeps us because we know them. Guess what? You know you better than you've known anybody else in your life. And I promise you, you'll do it to yourself because you know everything that you've done wrong and you know every reason that you should be disqualified from being who He's called you to be. 
You do. You do. Listen, he, he spoke with a voice that thundered from heaven. And people didn't believe that Jesus was who He said He was. I promise you, He can speak through His Word and you can very easily discard it and not believe it because you know something about the person He's talking about that keeps you from believing that it could be true. It's what they did to Jesus. They said, He's, he's a carpenter, so He's not qualified. Because back in those days, position was everything title was everything that's why jesus was talking to disciples and he said you know how the gentiles they lord this stuff over each other they, they lord these titles over each other but, but not so with you if any of you wants to become great he must become the servant of all what's he saying he's saying listen don't get hung up on titles why are you so worried about what people call you? Just live the way I've called you to live and serve other people. And when you get to the finish line and you stand before Him, you'll hear Him say, the only thing that matters if anyone says, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to look at you and say, well, you know, I had a great reward for you, but nobody ever called you pastor. You know, if you would have just went to this school... Now, if he's telling you to go there, then go, because you don't want to be disobedient. But I promise you, men's inability to receive from you will not hamper his ability to stand your, stare you in the eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not gonna, he's not going to call a bunch of people and say, okay, what do you guys think? What should I say to him? You're going to stand before him and he's going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Great job. Whether people receive... Listen, how many people were at the cross with Jesus? Not very many. How many people received from Him when He was here on earth? Like truly received everything He came for them to have? Not very many. There was a huge crowd at one point, and then they shrunk. Then another big crowd, and then they shrunk. Then the final big crowd. Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna! Laying their coats down and honoring him and bestowing honor. Why? Because they think he's here to do something, and then when he disappoints them and doesn't do what they think he should do, they close themselves off from receiving from him because they can't believe that he is who God says if he's not doing what they think that he should do. People are going to have expectations of you in your life and you not meeting their expectation and them they're being unable to receive from you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them if you're being obedient to what God's called you to. And Jesus is a prime example of that. Because three days later, that same crowd said, crucify Him and let His blood be upon us and upon our children. What do you think Jesus heard from the Father when He laid His life down? You think, you think the father looked at him and said, you know, son, I sent you down there to change people's minds and you only had, what, 12, 13? Some women? And I don't know if we can even count 13 because let's be honest, how many of them were at the cross? The rest of them were running. A lot of them even denied you. Did you see what Peter did? No. No, why? Because God didn't send Jesus and say, go see if you're worthy. Go see if you're good enough. Go see if you really are who I said you are. 
he told him who he was and said he was pleased with him before Jesus did his first act of ministry. Why? Because all he had to do was live by the words that proceeded out of the mouth of the Father. And when he got to the end, he'd stand before the Father completely obedient and everything that he was supposed to do would be fulfilled. And whether people received from him or not would not make one difference in how the Father saw him. How people receive from you doesn't change anything about you unless you let it. See, because there was a time where Jesus said, if you, if you want to be with me, if you want to have part of me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He had this huge crowd. They were all gathered around. Why? Because he was doing all the things they wanted him to do. He was healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding them miraculously. He was doing everything right. You know, good job, Jesus. Yeah, keep it up. All right, man, you're doing everything right. Well, if you want to be part, if you want part of me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says they turned away and said, this is too hard a saying. Who can know this? And one by one, they turned and left until all that were left were just his disciples. And he said, you guys want to go too? And God wasn't in heaven saying, Jesus, go find them. Go chase after them. Change what you're saying. Tone it down a little bit. You've got to be a little more relevant, Jesus. They don't understand what you're saying. I know we don't do that now, but I'm saying back then. Back then, people were tempted to do that. Why? Because look, they're leaving. If you're really doing what God called you to do, people shouldn't ever leave. Are you kidding me? Then Jesus was disobedient. He wasn't the perfect sacrifice because there were people constantly leaving when Jesus was being perfectly obedient. You don't judge whether or not you're being obedient by people's response. You judge whether or not you're being obedient by whether or not you're being obedient that's it. There's one litmus test. Am I doing what he's called me to do? If I am, then people's response has nothing to do with it. I hope they respond well for their sake, but I don't need it for my sake. Because I'm not judging whether or not I'm doing what God's called me to do by the response of people. If Jesus did that, he would have packed it up, went home, and that would have been it. So many times. But what does he say? It doesn't matter what people say, whether they receive. He's so worth it. I have nothing left that I can do. What else am I going to do? That's what Peter says to him. He says, where would you go? You've got the words of life. He wasn't like, no, Jesus, we love you and this is awesome. He's just like, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, at least give him that credit. We get born again. We start to see who God is. That's amazing and that's important because having an accurate picture of who He is means everything. But not long after that, He starts to speak to us about who we are. And it's only when we see Him for who He is that He can actually show us who we are. Think about it. Wait. I can back it up with Scripture. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say a prophet. But who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, now that you know who I am, I can tell you, Simon, that you're Peter. Because you see me for who I am, I can now speak to you about who you are. And even if what I say to you doesn't look like it's coming to pass, if you will believe it, there's coming a day where you'll walk in everything I've called you to. Even if from here to there, there's some times where you get sidetracked, even if you look at a little girl and say, I never heard of him. It's okay. You just keep believing what I've spoke over you is true and there's coming a day. That's why he's so confident. He stands in heaven. 
seated on his throne, looking down, confident that the word that he sent was going to come back to him, accomplishing what he sent it forth to accomplish. Going, it's okay that Peter's denying me. I told him he was going to. It's okay that he's gone back to fishing and thinks that his life following me is over because there's a time coming. I'm going to stand on the shore. He's going to see me. He's going to jump in the water and swim to me. And one day he'll be hung upon a cross upside down because he doesn't even want to be crucified the same way that I was. And he'll laugh when they do it. Why? Because he'll believe that he really is who I said that he is. He'll believe that he's Peter. He may act like Simon for a little while, but one day he'll believe he's Peter. That's why we don't give up on people when they act like Simon and deny him, because we believe that they really are Peter. That's why we don't give up on ourselves when we act like Simon, because we believe that we really are Peter. Because as much as we do it to other people, the person will do it to the most will be us. It's the same things. It's the enemy saying the same things to you. You're a carpenter. What is he saying? You're not a pastor. You're not in ministry. You don't have a job. You don't have a title. You look at everyone's in ministry. Everyone. Some people get their living by being a minister of the gospel, but everybody who is born again is in ministry. You're called to be a minister of the gospel of reconciliation. Every person. But the, the attack will come, right? Like, well, you're just a, you're just a construction worker. You're just a school teacher. No, you're not just a school teacher. You're a school teacher with the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you get to speak into students' lives and speak truth. And guess what? Every day when they walk into your class, you can put your hand on their shoulder and touch them. And you can be praying for them whether they know you are or not. You're a realer, realtor. Or you have a meeting with a client. They're stressed out about their stuff. And all of a sudden, you come to them and talk to them. Hey, man, listen, you may not even believe in Him, but there's a God. And I promise you, He has a plan for your life. Don't be stressed out. If you would just trust Him and seek Him, He'd show you the way. All of a sudden, what are you doing? You're releasing the kingdom of God into a situation. And there's no pastor standing there saying, hey, you can't do that. Or don't worry about that. I'll take care. There's people that are never going to set foot in church that are going to see you every single day. And you get the amazing opportunity to, for His great name's sake to represent the kingdom. He'll come with the same things. Next will be, come on, Son of God, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called the sons of God and such we are. Your mom is Brenda, your dad's Wally. You're Jeb and Judd and Max's brother. All right, I've seen your sisters. Son of God? Come on. That's how He comes. That's Joseph. And they became offended at Him. And guess what happens in our life when we fail to agree with what He spoke over us and then we don't see the things that He's promised happen. We become offended at Him. How many people do you know that don't live their lives actually walking in what He's called them to and agreeing with what He said and believing what He said that are offended at God and they act like it's His fault? Every one of them was offended with Jesus and it was His fault. 
that they didn't get healed. It was his fault that they didn't have any food. It was his fault that that demon didn't come out. Every one of them, because they didn't agree with him being who he said that he was, with who God said he was. And we have so many people in our lives. I've been there. I've been there where I've walked, not agreeing with what he said over my life and finding myself wanting to become offended at him in the process. Guys, He spoke things over your life. He spoke things over us individually. He spoke things over us corporately. And I honestly feel like, listen, we're in a season of our life. I feel like for this past probably six months, but really this past three months, the question that he's been asking me is, Roy, do you really believe the things I've spoken over you as an individual, over you and Patty as a family, over outreach as a church? Do you really believe those things? Are you going to actually walk as though they're true? And I think there's this invitation right now for us individually and corporately. Do you believe the things I've spoke over your life? Do you believe the things I've spoke over your church? Because listen, I believe it. I believe what Dan Mulder prophesied when he stood right here and said, God wants to give you influence in this region, your voice in this church's influence in this region. He wants to expand it because the gospel message needs to go forward. I believe that. I believe what Bob Hazlett said when he said, God wants to build you your dream home. And I said originally, maybe maybe he's talking about our house, but I think he's talking about our church. I really do. I think he's talking about our church building. And in the process, Patty and I have our dream home because of the generosity of so many of our friends and because of, of the faithfulness of God. We've been able to turn the home that we're in into the home that we've always dreamed of. But but I honestly believe it's a word for our church that God wants to... And He said, when you're dreaming of the church, don't dream small because it's not your dream for yourself. It's God's dream in you. I believe that. I believe when He said that there's people who come to your church kind of incognito, but they're going to start coming boldly and announcing we're coming to your church. You know what I think that is? There's thousands of downloads of messages here in Greenville from this church on a regular basis. And more and more of those people are actually starting to come physically attend the church. I believe what Bob Hazlitt spoke over us, and I believe we're walking in it. And I believe that, in fact, impacts every single one of us because as you guys have probably noticed, we're kind of filling up. It's Labor Day weekend, and we don't have any empty seats. It used to be Labor Day weekend, half the church was empty. And everyone's like, that's a good problem to have. Well, yeah, but it's still a problem when people come and they leave because there's nowhere to sit. Like, like a good problem's still a problem. And so we've been just praying and seeking and, and asking over. I mean, you guys don't even know for years now we've been praying, God, what are we supposed to do? But I mean, we have been fervently seeking the Lord and praying. And we actually maybe have a solution that will be coming where we can fit a bunch of us into one place. And it, and it, and it, it won't be a permanent thing. It'd be a temporary solution. But between now, and that probably isn't until sometime maybe January-ish. It was probably the earliest that it could possibly happen. Um, but we are working towards something. But between now and then, there is something that I feel like we're supposed to do. And, um, and that's this. I feel like we're supposed to start doing two services. I know I've said in the past I don't want to do that. Because I said, like, I feel like it'll just ruin the, the feeling that we have. But I've come to God really challenged me on that and said, do you think that the family feeling you have is because of the number of services or because of the love of the people in their hearts for each other? Amen. And it shut my mouth real quick. It did. It's one of those times where when he speaks, you hear it and you're like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent for thinking that way. Because here's why. 
Because on most weeks, people come, they walk up to the glass doors, they turn around and they leave because their foyer is full of people. And if God's sending people to us, it's not because He doesn't have a plan for us to be able to bring them in to the family, welcome them in, and be able to share with them this amazing gospel and this amazing life that we found together. And so it's not a permanent thing. We have no, no plans of this being a permanent thing, but it is a short-term fix that we can do so that we're not having to turn people away every single week. So we're going to have a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service. I want to encourage any of you that can, come to the 9 o'clock service. It'll still be awesome. It will be. It's not like one's going to be better than the other. They're going to be the same. I don't preach the message I plan to preach when I get up. I promise you it won't be the same message for each service, but they'll both be from God. And they'll both be planned to be the same. It's just, I, I don't even think I could preach the same message if I tried. I tried really hard. I preached at church, I had four services one time. I tried so hard to make it the same message for all four because they asked me if I please could, and I couldn't. <laughs> I could see myself up there. I'm trying to go, <laughs> you know, like I'm, <laughs> for real, I'm, I'm like, I'm covering my mouth, and I'm going, no, stop, this isn't what they wanted you to do as the words are coming out of my mouth, you know? I can't help it, it's the only way I know how to preach. But listen, it's a good thing. It really is, because here's the deal. It's only a temporary thing. We do desire to have a facility that's big enough for all of us to be together to worship and, and to, to, to get to know each other and to build family. But I promise you we can still have that with having two services for a while. And, and, and it's, I feel like it's what the Lord wants from us and what the Lord has for us. And I feel like the only way that people won't feel welcomed into a family, no matter which service they attend, is if the family doesn't welcome them in. We are going to need a few more people to help with some things. Um, children's ministry is going to need a few more people. We have a ton of people. We really do that volunteer for children's ministry. So awesome. I'm so thankful for all of you. If there's, if there's anybody else who feels like they could help, it really is like once every two or three months that you're on the schedule. Unless you have a heart to be in there with the kids more, then you can talk to Sarah about that. But We're also going to need some people because we're, we might have traffic flow issues. So we're going to need help from people in between the two services with parking, with guiding people out and helping people in and helping people park. If you want to be part of doing that, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can sign up for that. You just have to be here like 15 minutes before the first service ends so that when the first service gets out, you can help direct cars in and out of the place. We have a plan. I've got to talk to the church next door, but we, might have, we have a plan where we might be able to create a traffic flow that's easy for us to get in and out of here. Um, but most of all, what we're really going to need is, is for you guys to just trust that, that this is something that we've prayed through for months, and you guys know we have. Like, we never make a decision here at church without so seeking the Lord. And I mean, maybe to the point that sometimes we move too slowly. We just want to get it right. We just really want to know that what we're doing is what the Lord has for us because we love what He's doing, and we never want to do anything that would in any way tamper with what He's doing. And we feel like this is what He has for us, for our church family. So we'll have a 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock service. You're welcome to come to both if you want. You're really welcome to come to the 9 o'clock. <laughs> Listen, you could beat the Baptists to every restaurant in Greenville. <laughs> huh? You could do brunch. <laughs> Think of the possibilities. Possibilities. 
God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for this gospel that's changing our lives. God, I pray that every single person in here would come into agreement with what you've spoke over their lives. With God, with who you've called them to be. You guys realize, listen, when you start to believe that you are who he says you are, you have a way easier time believing that others are who he says they are. Because you see yourself according to what he spoke, but you know yourself. And that's where you have this amazing ability to live by faith because it takes faith to believe what God says even in the midst of what you've seen in your own life because you know you. It doesn't take faith to live according to who you've been. All that takes is a memory, a brain. But it takes faith to believe that you really are who he said even though you know everything that's happened in your life up to this point and to believe that that's who you really are and that that's who you're going to be for eternity. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons, the daughters of God. And such we are. It's who we are. It's who you are. So God, I just thank you for that. I thank you as we step into this next season as a church, God, that we would believe the things that you spoke over our church, God. Over us as individuals, God, and over us corporately. I, God, I truly believe that as we believe who we are individually, we'll become who you've called us to be corporately. God, stir the gifts in people. God, stir the dreams inside of people, the hunger inside of us, God, for more of you, to see more and more people come to know you and to be known by you, God. Guys, listen, it, it, it's never, we, this church started, we, we, you know, yeah, we talked about it a while ago, but anyways, there was never this like ambition to have a huge church, there still isn't, but we do feel like this. God said that there was a time on the earth where he said that, up in Genesis it says, and there was no crops on the earth at the time, for there were not people there that could tend to them. In other words, God never causes something to happen without having people in place to steward what he's causing without people having the ability to do what He wants them to do with it. And if God's bringing more and more people, we have, there's people moving from out of town, other states, to be here, to, be, to, to come to Outreach Church. I talked to a guy recently, he said he, he took a job offer that was an hour away from here so that him and his family could come every Sunday because they'd been listening to the podcast for the past year. And that was the closest job transfer there was job transferred to be an hour away so that he could come. There's people, there's, Will was running our sound, he used to drive from Charlotte every Sunday and finally was like, I gotta move there. I mean, there's just, and we're hearing more and more of this stuff that happens all the time that people are wanting to be here and God's not calling these people here so that they can walk up to those doors and there not be any room for them on Sunday. And so if we don't have a building yet, which we want everyone to just be continue to pray and believe that there's a building for us that will totally suit our needs. We need, listen, we need a building that has huge children's capacities because we really love each other in this place. <laughs> I'm serious. People are like, man, there's something in the water. <laughs> One guy told me, he's like, don't pray for me. I see what happens to everybody here. <laughs> We got babies and little kids everywhere. That's a good thing. We also need a building, a facility with enough room to house all these blessings. Because that's what they are. So just continue to pray that 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 God has a place for us. He's never called people 
into something that He's not willing to provide the way for it to happen. And if it happened, hasn't happened yet, then, then we believe this is why. We need to do this for a season. Maybe me giving up what I wanted and saying, God, I feel like this is what you're saying. Maybe that's just a step of humility that God was waiting on before he shows us what's next. I don't know. But I do know this. For the first time in a long time, I know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And I have clarity on it. And I feel like this is what God said. And it happened in a day. I went from one Sunday saying I didn't want to do two services to the next Monday morning going, we're supposed to do two services. Well, that's what happens when God speaks. Like everything you thought up to that point changes because you discarded everything for what He said. That's the way it's supposed to be. I didn't bargain with Him. I just repented. Changed the way I thought. So we need your help. We really do. No, no, no. I'm going to get there. No, we're going to need a little time to get it in place. Um, It's actually going to start October 15th. So you guys, we have six weeks to prepare for this. Um... But yeah, I mean, it, listen, guys, it breaks our heart when we get texts from people that said, I tried to come, but there was no room in the parking lot, so we left. Or people write into the website and say, um, what time do I have to get there if I want to be able to have a seat? Because I came today and the, the foyer was full and I couldn't find a place to sit. And they left, yeah, or, or, or my kids, there was no room for our kids and you know, we just, that, we don't want that. We want every, we, we believe. Listen, you guys, if we didn't believe in this gospel that we carry being the answer to what people are looking for, then it'd be no big deal. Just cap it off at this. And, you know, we've, we've grown the church. We've filled up. We're, you know, we're going along. Things are going good. And just, but we really believe there's more people that need this because there's more people going into places that we can't. And they need to bring the kingdom of God. They need to bring the simple gospel of loving God and denying ourselves and taking our cross up and following Him every single day.